Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC Studios, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Cole Carmody, and Ryan Gills Gilbert right here in the GPC studios. And we are brought to you by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Make sure you stop into the fridge whenever you come to town. It's a wonderful place. They can answer all your product questions, whether it's with spirits, beer, or wine. They have it all there. They have experts on every topic, and they have everything you need for your tailgate, for your party, well, for your life. Let's be honest here. I mean, if you've got a good bourbon and some snacks, you got a good night. You can get your ice there. You don't even have to have an ice maker. You can get your ice right there. Maybe some cups. Heck, it's all right there at the fridge. Great people at the corner of, Zach, I'm going to do it, Claflin and Westport. Yeah, you don't need help anymore. Ding, 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 ding. I got it right? You got it right. Why I can't keep a West Loop and Westport straight, I don't know. Like my brain just has them. Pretty easy. Just overlapped. I hope we have good questions. We went a little bit earlier in this week just because of scheduling, mostly because of Cole Carmody. Well, this is how it's supposed to be. <clears throat> just cool. Yeah, this is actually when it's supposed to be. So it, it can appear on Wednesdays. So we have Life of Fits on Mondays, this on Wednesdays, and then uh, the overtime, which we'll record right after this for Fridays. That's how it should work in the perfect realm of podcasting. So let's do this thing. Taking over for the first half is the one, the only, Ryan Gills Gilbert. Now, now, now you talk. Oh, that was the cue? Yeah, that was the cue. From Imarica, if K-State ends up with Joshua Manning, Jacoby Lane, and Avery Johnson to round out the top of the class, where do you see the ceiling for the Cats in two to three years? Bud Elliott is always talking about the blue chip ratio when it comes to competing for a national championship. They obviously won't have that many four and five stars, but would they have a shot at being in a four-team playoff? Well, I, th- I think you know when you're talking about blue chips, you're talking about guys that we identify as being really good at a high school, but that doesn't mean that's going to completely translate to college. I mean, Deuce Vaughn isn't a blue chip, right? Felix Daniel Duque Uzama is not a blue chip. So if, if you're K-State, and I'm sure Cincinnati was the same way. They got some really good players, and then they had did a great job of identifying and developing other players, and they made it to the Final Four. So if K-State can get into that conversation of – continuing to develop and here's going to be their issue is by the time these players start paying off this wave the guys i just mentioned and others will be gone so they have to continue to find those guys on top of signing high level prospects which they're going to do in this 23 class so i i hope it means k-state can get deeper into the conversation for the big 12 title playing in the big 12 championship because that's kind of the next step I'm a believer if you jump too far too fast, you're going to miss some steps and fall backwards. But um, if K-State can continue to, continue to escalate its level of play, it will be there. It will be there early in the new Big 12. I think this year serves as kind of that peak year for the group that has been around for the last, what, two years. I mean, if you, if you want to you know, basically say ever since the COVID year, um, maybe even the year before that, you have guys that really burst onto the scene like Deuce Vaughn, guys you, that burst onto the scene like you mentioned in Felix. Think about Echo Boydo, another one of those guys who really had a breakout season in the COVID year. Those guys have all been playing for two to three years now, right? So they started out young, and now they're old guys. I would say that this year is going to be um, their peak year. Now, you do have some returners for next year, but I view next year – 
assuming there is not any immediate, you know, impact transfers or anything like that, is going to be one of those years that is a building block year, right? So maybe they take a step backwards next year. You know, who knows? But I would say that um, we had a question on the podcast last week that talked about potential of, you know, this year, this group compared to the group three years from now. Uh, I, I do think that, um, you know, if, you, if, if K-State does end up with these three players, as mentioned, the offensive side of the ball – uh, can be, have a chance to be extremely good, which K-State really has been uh, hung their hat on defense the last few years. And so um, I, another thing to think about when, when, we, when this question comes up is the transfer portal, right? That's something that is the unspoken elephant in the room. The, who's to say that every kid that K-State signs in this class, just because we think that they're going to be good, who's to say that they decide to stick around, right? That's one of those things that I think is the unspoken elephant in the room that not a lot of K-State fans want to talk about is, hey, You've got your kids on campus. Now you have to keep them here. And so, yeah, it's about getting those kids that are going to play and have an immediate impact. But you got to keep them on campus. I, I hope the elephant in the room doesn't start speaking. I'm going to freak out. I think. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was the unspoken Wait. elephant in the room. And I'm like, I hope that the elephant's not speaking. Not, I'm not the elephant. Okay. Who is it? I think is it Daphne. I don't want to talk about it. I think, you know, K-State's upward trajectory this last year and now with the recruiting, I think that K-State has the opportunity to be good this year. Um, still, you know, there's some, you know, question marks, but it seems that the upward trajectory is, upward trajectory is there. And especially in the recruiting sense, you know, with the, with the names Imarica has mentioned there, you know, I think – the question shouldn't be about making the college football playoff right now or making the national championship game. I think it's just, can K-State put together a group of guys that can make a Big 12 championship game? Not even win it, just make it. I think that's the first step. And I don't think K-State's there this year, but next year, if they're able to build, if they don't lose too many players to the transfer portal or to the NFL draft, because that's, yeah, that's thing. starting to become kind of a... Uh, a possibility. We were talking about this before the podcast, but Felix Inudike Uzama is a projected first rounder by at least one person that works for ESPN. And Cooper Beebe has been a projected first rounder too. I mean, there are some good guys on this team that are underclassmen that could come back for 2023, or if they grade high enough, they're gone. I mean, there's there's players at K State right now that are good enough to play in the NFL and get paid early in the draft to do so. So I think that if, if Casey eight has a good year this year, I think a lot of those guys will say, you know what, that was, that was good. But I think that a lot of it's going to be about continuing to build. And if, if the core group of the stars that end up being the stars for, for 2022, come back to 2023, I think that K state can start being in that conversation of, Hey, we're definitely in the top half of the conference. We're definitely a top, four top three team and you know once you're top three top four you're realistically competing for that second place spot to end up in that championship game so i don't think that you know at least right now is not going to be competing every year to even make the championship game but if you can get to a point where you know one in three years you know i think realistically in the next three years i think k-state can make one big 12 championship game i, think I don't fair. think that's out of the realm of possibility so i think that as you know, as K-State builds recruiting classes, you know, this 2023 class, you know, we're going to keep talking about it. It's solid. It's it's one of the best classes we've seen in recent memory at K-State. What's going to what we're going to need to see in the future, though, is how does the 2024 class look? 2025. It's about continuing to build and identifying these key pieces in these recruiting classes to get to come state get to come to K-State. And a lot of it is this 2023 class was good in state. You get Avery Johnson, you get Dylan Edwards. You have a lot of local guys that, you know, that can build this class that, you know, that are from Kansas. And I think that, you know, hopefully the high schools in Kansas can continue to develop, to continue to develop talent to the high level that they've done this class and then K-State needs to keep getting those guys and keeping them in state because, you know, over the last, you know, probably four or five years, there's a lot of top, you know, prospects in Kansas that that you lose elsewhere. And it's not about, you know, necessarily K-State. It's just they were that good that they were, you know, the Clemson calls, right. the OU calls, the Ohio State calls, you know, 
you know, when those, the Notre Dames, you know, there's, there's teams out there where it's just, you know, K-State doesn't necessarily have a shot. And, you know, I think once this on field success, if, if you start seeing it and you see the upward tra- trajectory there, I think those kids that say, Hey, you know, Notre Dame's a dream school. Maybe it's not so much a dream school anymore when K-State is putting together, you know, nine, 10 win seasons. Very well said. Fired up. Yeah, that was good. With, uh, Do you think he rehearsed it? I think he did. Like in the bathroom before he came over. That's why I was a little bit late. I was. I was. I was reading. That was all reading. I was reading that word for word. It was I a like script. It. Do you have a teleprompter <laughs> on your computer? Maybe. <laughs> With Manning and Lane and Johnson, if they get all these guys, no disrespect to them, but they haven't proven anything at the collegiate level, right? In high school, they're great, um, but the potential. There's a lot of potential, but it's just there's nothing in college yet. The same thing could be said the opposite way with Texas. I mean, they always get four and five star guys and they don't do crap with them. So I think it's all speculation at this point. But Zach, you mentioned, I guess, Cole, you mentioned it, how next season would be sort of a rebuilding season, a building block season. I agree with that. I think K-State's win total this year would be more than next year's unless they get some sort of crazy guys, guy or guys from the portal. I think you're going to lose at least Vaughn or Anadika Uzama, somebody that's a key piece. And, you know, the the building, I guess the, 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 the founding pieces of that special group are going to be freshmen next season. So I think that's the, the rebuilding season, so to speak. When you say crazy guys, you mean like axe murderers? Because I <laughs> yes, don't think exactly. that's what you want to bring into your locker room. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure where you're going with this. Josh Youngblood's going to come back. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> From Powercat Ryan, when was the last time K-State was winning and recruiting at this level in football? Seems like this is the first time the on-field results and recruiting results were this hot since the inception of Go Powercat. I don't know if that, I don't know if since Go Powercat is the case, but maybe in the last 10 years, I would say so. Yeah, the the thing is, is when K-State was getting players at this level in the past, we didn't know it because the recruiting rankings weren't as developed. And certainly the attention to junior college recruits as tangible assets in the recruiting trail wasn't appreciated when Bill Snyder went out and signed the guys in 1997 that ended up being the foundation of almost playing for a national championship. So I don't think in the modern era of recruiting, if you want to look at it from that standpoint, which would be the last 10, 15 right. years. But, and also add in the national attention that Kansas gets now, too. Yeah. Kansas right. wasn't getting anything as far as, you know, rivals or scout or ESPN 10 years ago from a national standpoint. We were pretty much the only game in town, us and whoever covers KU. That's who your coverage of Kansas high school kids came from. Now, with, you know, huddle, more, you know, stuff on the internet, being able to get your stuff out. It's easy for coaches to see kids from Kansas. Plus, it's easy for the national recruiters and people that cover recruiting to see more kids from Kansas. So I think that, you know, just the tech- technological advancement is more anything and just the, just the fact that Kansas gets more attention right now. I think what's interesting to point out is um, Colin Dunn, who recently committed to K-State, uh, eight composite 85 score. And so if you're not familiar with the recruiting rankings, um, basically the composite score takes all of the recruiting services together, combines them, and says this is what the industry has come to a consensus on as a score. Now, a lot of the times, you know, 24-7 may be higher than, you know, some of the other sites, mm-hmm. or they may be lower than some of the other sites. We've seen that happen before as well. doesn't mean anybody's right. doesn't mean anybody's wrong, but that's just kind of where the evaluators see where these kids are. And so Colin Dunn was an 85, okay? Um, I feel like at K-State, the top tier of kids that they have been getting under Chris Kleiman have been in that 85 range, right? Typically an 85 composite score, you have a few other power five offers, right? K-State is competing against Arizona. They're competing against Minnesota. They're competing against KU. They're competing against these like schools, right? They're not competing against the Oregons. They're not competing against the Oklahomas, the Washingtons, the Nebraskas as much um, as they are with Dylan Edwards, who has a composite 89 grade. So, um, once you hit 90, you are a consensus four-star recruiter. Is that how that works? I'm not 
entirely certain. I guess the I guess where I'm going with this is the bottom tier right now is Will Ancio, who's an 84 composite score, and Colin Dunn's the next one with an 85. Right? That's the depth of this class where they're going at right now is because they have gotten kids who are not only you know pretty good and in the state of Kansas, but they are pretty well received throughout um the community as far as the recruiting analysts go so yeah i mean i think that the fact that they're able to get these kids who are consensus good high school players is very important now that doesn't mean that they're going to be good in college but you're building a reputation right so when you start to win you start to build a reputation as hey this is the expectation look at iowa state they always recruit very well, and just because they were seven and five last year, they still have one of the top recruiting classes in the Big Twelve. So even if you don't consistently win, if you build a tradition of a culture of winning, kids like that. Yes, Chris Kleiman and his staff are kicking ass with football recruiting. But I, I, subconsciously, don't you guys think people feel even more excited about football? without even knowing it, just because of basketball and drum tang. I think there is a, I hate to use this term, but synergy going on here. Yep. I mean, I really do. I, And also, <clears throat> I think it applies more than just fans. I think we've seen maybe the football staff get a spark and some drive out of what they're seeing the, the basketball staff do. I, I think there's a real kind of cohesive belief in where the university's at uh, as an institution and as a as an athletic department and it's helping both programs in terms of you know selling the product so yeah I do I agree we were talking last week was this on the podcast or not I don't remember but they're doing something different on visits too and you yeah. got to think basketball there's more energy coming out of them than ever before they really are they they they've they've tweak their formula a little bit and it seems to be paying off from rob Derhack. Derek, i don't know i love how we just stare at zach like did we get this right <laughs> anywho ask him k-state fans are celebrating this 2023 recruiting class like it is a program altering class but it is still ranked ninth in the big 12 and 49th or so <gasps> nationally is this a realistic high water mark for where the staff can recruit to or do they view a class like this as the possible baseline to grow on going forward? I, th- I think it's a baseline, but I mean, any high water mark is only surpassed by higher water. I mean, you, you, it would be a high water mark, but I, I also don't think you can go apply grades to a partially completed class. Yeah, the class isn't done yet. They I only mean, have seven. They're, kids. they're 49th yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, if if you start adding in a more four star receivers and other players, that you're, you're going to go up. And and I don't really worry about where they rank in the conference as much as how comparative are they in college athletics. The rankings aren't going to change that much. Granted, you always have Texas ranked highly, and this year they're actually you know getting five stars. Um, but you know they, they always have that Texas bump. <clears throat> Kid wants to commit to Texas. Oh, let's add some points to him. I mean, everyone does it. It's just ridiculous how needy that that fan base is. That. Oh, my God, if they got someone that was actually an 85 instead of a 91, they they can't play. Well, that's not how it works at all. But I, I think by the addition of Cincinnati, they're recruiting at a very high level. I mean, if you look at um, a lot of the rankings out there in terms of recruiting or just power, the conference without Texas and Oklahoma still stands up pretty well. And I'm, I'm just really intrigued to see – who kind of takes over the the helm of being the top recruiter in the conference? Will it be Oklahoma State? Will it be Cincinnati? BYU? Or well, can Kansas State and Iowa State be in that conversation? I think it's probably Cincinnati just because Ohio is a huge recruiting hotbed. And, and really not for the Big 12. It's a huge Big, Big, 10. Big 10 area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact is Cincinnati was able to recruit their area and make the college football playoff. So I think that. You know, adding in those those Ohio guys. Plus, I mean, Texas is still going to be a recruiting hotbed for the Big 12. But you add in Ohio, and maybe that opens up Ohio a little bit for the rest of the conference too. You know, if you're K State, Oklahoma State, you might be able to go in a, into Ohio and say, "Hey, you know, we're going to play against Cincinnati every year. You know, why not come 
playing the Big 12. You know, it's not that far away. So I think that, you know, it could open the door there for for recruits for Ohio. But I think it's at the end of day. At the end of the day, I think that Ohio and Cincinnati is probably going to to be at the forefront of the recruiting trail for for the Big 12. I don't think it's fair to look at this class and say, oh, they're only ninth in the Big 12 and 49th nationally right now. Like, okay, that's fine. If you want to look at that, like I said, but they have seven recruits. They have seven commits right now. That, Comparatively speaking, I was just looking at Iowa State. They have 12. So, yeah, Iowa State is going to be ranked higher because they have more kids. Don't like the, We fall into a trap sometimes as people who cover the sport and cover recruiting to say, you know, it is legitimately the end-all, be-all. If you have the better, the better talent, you're going to win 100% of the time when we obviously know we've seen time and time again that's not necessarily true. It's been proven that K-State can win with guys who have less stars than their opponents. So when K-State gets guys who have more stars than their opponents – Typically, that results in good things. So don't sweat the fact that K-State's ninth in the Big 12 because it is an incomplete class. Yeah, it doesn't matter until mid-December. No. But also on the on the flip side, I would say that it matters a lot if K-State got a couple good kids really early on and they were ranked first or second. So Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> For perspective, though, Western Michigan, Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech, SMU – all these schools are ranked ahead of K-State right now. Western Michigan. The Broncos. The Our mighty house. Broncos. Powerhouse. Yeah, it's early. Row the boat. Row the boat. <laughs> From Wildcat Pilot 88, what made Dylan Edwards a four-star running back while Deuce Vaughn was a three-star? <clears throat> Please compare and contrast these two guys. It's a good question. Probably the right people noticing. I mean, honestly, uh, Deuce was in that DFW market. You know, down into the Austin area and probably just got lost in the wash. There's a lot of great running backs out of that area. And, you know, we do get caught up in measurements. But when you come to Kansas and you're in the Wichita market, you jump off the page. And we're talking about a kid that was, you know, the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state. Just putting up prolific numbers that dominate a state. And Deuce just kind of got lost in it, which is great for K-State. Because if other people had noticed, maybe they would have taken him. But then again, I mean, not Texas, not Oklahoma. They've made it clear that um, they'll just, they prefer to take the more prototypical running back and bitch about the little guys that tear them a new hole every time they play them. I think Deuce Vaughn is, well, he's a little, he's a little guy. We all know that. And now seeing his success at K-State, I know that Edwards wasn't always a lock to go to K-State, but there was always a very similar you know, comparison between those two. Maybe seeing a guy like Deuce Vaughn's success enabled people to say, yeah, why not Edwards? Let's give him that four-star. He can be that Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, I, think, be right. I think Deuce Vaughn is a Kansas four-star, and I think Dylan Edwards is a Texas three-star. And I think that's the simplest way to put it. Mm-hmm. I think it's just market and where they came from unfortunately and i think deuce vaughn being five six in high school being listed at five six in high school compared to dylan edwards being listed at five nine again i say listed because i don't know if dylan edwards is actually five nine <laughs> i stood right next to him and he seemed awful short nine five ten i feel like you could put deuce and dylan back very back close. and i do think dylan's a little tight. taller. i do yeah. think dylan's a little taller um as far as the player goes you know it's so hard because um you know, I, I, I was not covering Deuce Vaughn when he was in high school, but, you know, from looking at film of Dylan and watching him play in person, the thing that jumps out to me is speed, right? He is a straight line runner. Yes. Can he, he is he agile? Can he make people miss in the open field? Yes. But Dylan Edwards straight line spree, straight line speed is incredibly impressive. You watch him play in person and it's even more impressive. That to me is what makes Dylan Edwards such a good running back is the fact he can outrun you, and I understand he's going against high school kids, uh, but he plays for the best program in the state, and they play against the best programs in the state who a lot of the times produce Division One kids. It's not like he's playing um, eight-man football. No disrespect to the people who play eight-man football, but just the not just not the quality athletes that you're going to face on a Friday night 
um, week in and week out basis. Same thing can be said for Deuce Vaughn, right? He has that straight line speed, but he is more of a – Chris Kleiman talked about it when he was when he was on 8-10 in Kansas City. He's a great in-between-the-tackles type of runner, um, and maybe that's because he's developed that since he's been at K-State. But Deuce Vaughn, I feel like um, he, he's a running back. For how small he is, I get it. But he is a prototypical running back. I'm not saying that Deuce, or that Dylan Edwards is not a prototypical running back, but I don't think he will be a every down running back. You know, his first few years on campus, can he do that? Yes, but his straight line speed is what makes Dylan so impressive. First, I'd, I'd like to thank you for staring directly at me <laughs> while saying he's he's faster than you. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. So is. A dead turtle. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I think they are different players, even though we make the lazy, easy comparison. I suspect from looking at the way K-State's recruiting at both receiver and running back, they envision a more diverse usage of Dylan. Maybe a Tyreek Hill with a little more running back That's what I was duties. thinking. Yeah. Debo Samuel. Yeah, they, they, they're going to morph him into something in between which they haven't done with Deuce but honestly I mean if someone would emerge as a really good running back along with him we'd probably see Deuce in the slot more I don't think that's happening this year no no it's not going to happen this year and I bluntly put I thought at times it should have been with Irvin on the field now was he that great at change up it's not like putting Joe Irvin on the field gave you a 6-1 power back. Uh, they were kind of the same guy in that respect. But, yeah, I, I think K-State missed the opportunity to use Irvin and, and Vaughn together and now are kind of stuck with stuck with Deuce Vaughn yeah. uh, in more of the pure running back role. But I think when Dylan Edwards arrives, he will be kind of morphed into other things. Last question of the first <clears throat> half from M. Boat Jim. Here since the switch, first-time question asker. Nice. While Adrian Martinez is the presumptive starter at quarterback, can we expect Will Howard to see significant playing time or simply be the backup? I don't mean the craziness of not having a clear number one, but knowing Martinez is only here for one season, will Will get more than one mop-up duty? I, that's, oh, Watch your hand. Man, God, that's kind of just all over the place. That's a great question. I, I think K-State will... Um, Use Will Howard in selected occasions, you know, circumstances. But you're asking us how is a new offense coordinator going to handle his co- his quarterbacks, and he's also the quarterbacks coach. So I don't know how this will vary from what they've done in the. Are past. they going to try and redshirt him? I think that's that's another that's another thing because I know we've talked about that. I, I don't talk see, about it. I don't think you can. I don't, I don't think, think you, you have the third stringer to risk that. But he is right with the four game rule. I mean, are you going to be in uh, enough games that are close where you might have to use a back? I don't know. I guess it depends on who you how you feel about your quarterback room going forward, too, right? Because, well, Howard has that fifth year he can play. Right. And talking to his brother, who is a, who's a recruit, his brother said, hey, I'd like to play with my brother. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? His brother's a 2024 grad. So that would... All signs would indicate that he would plan on using his fifth year of eligibility if that's something that he wants to do. Or a red shirt to, <laughs> or a red shirt. to push it even further. But. but my question is, if you're K-State, are you really comfortable with that? Do you feel like you need to have that happen? Because if you feel like you have a quarterback in this 2023 class that you really like, or if you feel like a Jake Rubley is going to be ready – do you really want to say, okay, well, we'll we'll keep him around, or you know, maybe if we bring in a quarterback in the twenty three class, he sits his first year, and then that next year we have Will Howard, who will be a fifth year senior. That kid's not going to start over him. We don't want to risk a kid transferring. Or do you say we're going to play Will Howard? We're going to find a way to use him, get him, get him involved in the twenty twenty two season. So the twenty twenty three season, he is a senior. It is his last year. He is ready to go, and we'll go from quarterback, and we'll go. You know, find somebody else after that. If I'm K State, I feel like that's what they'll do. I, I I feel like that that's the plan moving forward is to try and get Will Howard involved in the game as much as possible. Um, 
Because, yeah, I don't think you can you can afford to redshirt him. And if you don't play him, you're doing a kid who has done an outstanding job of helping the program. You're doing him a disservice. And he's good enough to see the field. I believe that. Yeah, I think I don't think you can possibly try to redshirt Will Howard this year. I think you need to at least have the game plan saying, hey, we're going to run him five, ten snaps a game. I think that you need to get him snaps because for next year, I think he's 100% the guy. Me too. And I don't think you want to have your guy sitting on the bench all year or playing four games hoping that, you know, you don't need to use him. I think that he needs to get his reps. Um, And who's to say Adrian Martinez isn't going to struggle either? I think that people are really excited and confident in Adrian Martinez. I remain bearish on Adrian Martinez. I don't think it's going to go as well as what – People seem to hope, and I think that we're going to, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if the people that clambered against Will the last two years hoping for Jake or hoping for Jaron or somebody else, I think they're going to be clamoring for Will, saying, wow, I wish Will Howard was playing right now. I don't think that people will be clamoring for, for the people, Will. The people, you think they'll be clamoring for Jake? Because I think, yes. I think at the end, I, I think when you look at just... If, if Avery commits and if he's going to be your quarterback of the future, Will Howard's really the only guy that's going to bridge that gap to yeah. Avery Johnson. I'm sorry, but I think that once Avery Johnson commits, you know, I feel badly for Jake Rubley, but I don't think at this point Jake Rubley will see the field if Avery Johnson commits. And I think that a lot of that has to do with his senior high school season, getting canceled in Colorado, going to Iowa, playing a couple of games, and then being ruled ineligible. Well, you just you just brought, you just brought up my point because think about it like this, okay? Do you really want your quarterback in Avery Johnson if he does end up committing sitting on the bench for 2 years if you feel like, "Hey, we're going to try and keep Will for two more years because they tried to redshirt him last year for a reason." Right? right? That that was obviously the end goal was to try and get him for those two X for that fifth and sixth year, right? So, do you really do you really want Avery Johnson sitting on the bench for two years and risking a situation like Jake Rubley or risking a situation like um, some of these other players who they come in and they don't play for a year and a half and they're like, screw this, I'm going to enter the transfer portal and leave. I'm not saying that would happen, but that is kind of the thinking that I feel like is going on in veneer is like, how do we juggle this whole transfer portal, this whole COVID year in playing time? It's, it's something that I don't envy the coaches for sure. I don't think you need to worry about Will Howard for 2024 at this point i think will howard is your 2023 quarterback you know avery will be on campus he'll be red shirting after that you can figure it out but if will howard wants to come around you know if he comes back for 2024 and plays i don't think it's that big of a deal and you still have avery for three more years the thing is though you know at what point is Jake Rubley so far down on the depth chart and so far down on the bench? If he's if he doesn't play early on, you know, even mop up duty in these first three games this year, I mean, you know, I, I wish him well, but I, I just don't see how he can possibly take the field if we have Adrian Martinez here. You have Will Howard, who is clearly far and ahead the second guy at this point. I mean. I know I would be discouraged if I was Jake Rubley at this point. So, uh, you know, if he decides to transfer, I, I would not blame him 100%, especially if Avery commits. Okay, here's my take. Uh, last year, they had to use Will Howard. And yet, it was only due to mismanagement of his playing time that he didn't redshirt. <clears throat> Why the hell he played at Kansas, nobody can explain, but it cost him a redshirt season. So I think... All of you can be right in the fact that they would prefer to get him playing time. But also, I I think they'll be more conscious of when to play him. They won't just chuck him into a mop-up duty anymore. That's where they went wrong. You got other guys that can do the mop-up duty. Maybe you can get by by playing Will Howard four games. We'll find out what they want to do. Within the first three games of the season, if we start seeing Will Howard in the non-conference, we know they just said the hell with it. We're playing him. It all ties into Avery Johnson. If and when they get him, do they think he's a guy that can step in and 24 and play? I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, if they start burning 
Will Howard's eligibility, yeah, they're all in. All right. If they're in so many close games that they need quarterback relief, they're they're going to have to play Will Howard. I mean, if Zach's right and Adrian Martinez is Adrian Martinez, as Nebraska fans seem to think that it's all his fault, then, yeah, they're going to need Will Howard. If they're wrong and he's really good, now with that, you're going to play him. And then when someone comes in in relief, it'll be because you're up four touchdowns. We'll know in the first three games where they're going with this. I, I, I truly believe that. That was a good question um, for Zach and Cole to go back and forth over. But my only answer is Will Howard is the backup. That's it. I don't want to entertain any idea of him stealing Martinez's spot. We heard it all last year um, in press conferences and stuff from the coaches that Will Howard was the best backup in the country, blah, blah, blah. And we saw what happened. But there, I think there was the, no special package for Will Howard that we ever saw. So. But that gets well, he was forced to be the guy. I think that's the thing. They talked about that all year last year. I think, yes, you would have liked to see him redshirt. But, you know, after him not playing the Stanford game, not that he really needed to play in the Stanford game, but they had to put him in against Southern Illinois. I mean, I, I think that the role of him being the best backup in the country you know, all of those quotes and all of those talking points, that was out of the window because he wasn't they, the backup. He wasn't the backup <laughs> and they needed to play him any idea that they had. So I think what I want to what I want to know is, you know, whatever they planned for him last year, because he clearly was going to have some sort of role, mm-hmm. whether that was just four games, whether it was, you know, five to ten snaps a game like, you know, like I've talked about. We don't know what that role was going to be. It'll it'll be interesting to see in August during camp, you know, what the coaches are saying about Will Howard and what, you know, we might be able to decipher what they they plan to do with him. But Stanford, you mentioned that game. Why didn't they play him if they had some sort of role for him? Well, I mean, K-State was up. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily, that was you know, a, it, was wasn't, a, it wasn't it wasn't a mop. Game it, was, team. it wasn't like a mop-up duty thing. It was K-State was, they thoroughly won that game without blowing out Stanford, if that makes sense. But it was still a close game for most of it. Why, if he was a, a real prominent part of your offense, why didn't we see him in the Wildcat at least once? I don't – well, they don't ever run the Wildcat. Exactly. There was no role for him. We don't know what the role was going to be. That's the point. Gil's was a saying, power five opponent. Gil's saying, why didn't they show that role in the, that game? Yeah. I, I get I – get, Southern what? Illinois, you got to play him, obviously, whatever, because you have to play him or else it's Jaron Lewis or whoever. Right. I'm not saying he needed to come in and take Skyler's spot. I'm saying, why didn't we see him for one play in the Wildcat? Like the Blake. Do, like a, do some Blake sort Bell. of wacky play. The Belldozer in Oklahoma. And that sure. Kind of but also in the first game of the season, if you're going to do something special, that's not really been a Chris Kleiman or a K-State thing to show your, your stuff in the first game, especially when you're winning. But the 3-4 defense that they switched to? That, would, that came out of nowhere for most people. But that's a fundamental thing. That's not a the three, four isn't a trick play. That's a base defense. Interesting. You know what? I feel like I could just stop recording and these guys would keep talking <laughs> yeah. about this topic. That's it for the first half of the Powercat questions podcast. Make sure you're listening to all of our podcasts, subscribe to them on whatever your favorite platform is. I'm oddly an Amazon podcast guy, just because I can make her play my podcast over the, all the little devices. I'm not saying her name. No way. I'm not going there. But are you subscribed to the Life of Fits? Make sure you are along with the Power Cat podcast. New one with Brian Cavanaugh is up. And right after we record these today, I'm going to record next week's Life of Fits with Danny Welniak as she moves out of TV and into the world of soccer, Kansas City Media. We'll be back right after this. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back to the PowerCat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. We're back on the PowerCat Questions Podcast. Do we even need a second half after that? I don't know, but we are sponsored by The Fridge. They would like a second half, I would imagine. Stop into The Fridge whenever you're into Manhattan. Stop right there at the corner of this and that. Across from the taco place. You know those apartments across took some serious damage? Well, they're the Georgetown apartments right across the street from The Fridge. Their oh, they're sponsor is, now? Their, the sign is absolutely destroyed. I don't know if a tree fell on it. I mean... Like the brick sign? Yeah. Oh, and it's just split? It's gone. It's gone. It's devastated. Oh, no. It's kind of like Cole Carmody's love life. It's in ruins. Oh, man. That was a shot. Just in ruins. Cole, you got the questions here? Here we go. Cole Carmody, take it away. First question of the second half comes from Hard Times Cat. There has been some discussion on another thread about this, but want to hear your guys' opinions. Why would you want to hear our opinions? No. Rank the top five quarterbacks from Snyder beginning to now. So from the beginning of Bill Snyder, 1989 to 2022. Wow. Uh, Michael, Take it away. Michael Bishop. Colin Klein. Mm-hmm. L. Roberson. Yeah. Jonathan Beasley, L. Roberson. Fine. Yeah, I, I was going to go Jonathan Beasley next. Because the people that are in these threads are wanting Skylar Thompson to be number three. I know where this question is coming oh, from. No, 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 it's not, not even close. I'm, is he top the, five? The fact that I talked about Jake Waters so much it, on this podcast <laughs> that it, Jake Waters has to be in the conversation. But is, uh, It's really difficult. Chad May, they all represent different steps along the way. If you know what I mean, yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> I mean, you can throw in Chad May, you can throw in Jake, and then you get Skyler. I think those, unless I'm totally spacing. Someone. I mean, can we talk about Josh Freeman? Uh, Josh Freeman deserves. He was a first round pick. Yeah. Josh Freeman deserves credit. He does. He deserves to be. I somewhere. know that is a forgotten time in K State football. It's, I'm not forgetting the time. I'm. <clears throat> I remember the productivity in wins and losses. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about impact for the team, no, not Josh Freeman. Talking about the player and what he became. Yeah. Josh Freeman. Okay. I'm a guy that, that, I I mean, he was a journeyman starting NFL quarterback for years. Yeah. I mean, he was Russell Westbrook. He was a whole lot of stats and mostly nothing. I mean, I like Josh, and I think he had the. The raw ability to be a everyday down quarterback in the NFL for many years, and he didn't pan out. He's not in my top five. I want productivity beyond personal stats. Okay. Well, then we can't have the argument about Skylar Thompson being productive because his best year was eight and four. Well, that's still better than anything. It's better than Josh Freeman. True, but I mean, all these other quarterbacks that we have in the top five had years better than eight and four. Am I am I right on that? Yeah. So, I mean, if we want to talk about productivity, then the people that want Skylar Thompson as the number three quarterback in that era. There's no way. I mean, when you've got L. Roberson winning a Big 12 title and and the level at which he played when he was going, and Jonathan Beasley just being so underappreciated by K-Staters, he took over for Michael Bishop, the greatest quarterback in K-State history, and the program didn't fall off hardly at all. And, And... 
the talent around him fell off because there's been no team as talented as 98. Yeah, they were still talented for a couple of years, but wow. I almost feel like whatever you put Jonathan Beasley at and Jake Waters at, it should be a tie because they're essentially the same role as a quarterback for the program. You know, you were you had these highs. You had the high of '98. You had the high of 2012, and they come in and they perform well and are probably under underappreciated for what they did because they were only there for two years. So, from a former employee by the name of D. Scott Fritchen, on June 17, 2020, there was an article published on GoPowerCat.com that had K-State season opening quarterbacks over the last 20 years. I remember coming up with that content idea. <laughs> 2002, Mark Dunn. That is a quarterback I did not know mm-hmm. played for K-State. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> Jonathan Beasley in his two seasons starter went 22-4. and four. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then, if I'm looking at these right, Jake went 17-9. and nine. Yeah, As far as wins and losses, yes, Jonathan Beasley is head and shoulders above Jonathan, uh, Jake Waters. But my point being is they didn't completely tank the program I, after they left. I still think I'd put Chad May at five just because where the program was and the fact that he had back-to-back nine-win seasons. So when in that time, that era was absolutely epic. <clears throat> it's amazing how once Coach Snyder got his foundation – Nine wins, nine wins, ten wins, nine wins, eleven wins, eleven, 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 six. Two thousand one was a mess. Eleven, eleven, and then it just fell off the table. Four and seven, five and six, seven and six, five and seven, five and seven at a prince. So the consensus answer to the question, in no particular order, is well, Michael B- uh, Michael Bishop is one. <laughs> Michael Bishop, Michael Beasley is also one. Yes, uh, on the other <laughs> sport, Bishop Beasley. Roberson, Klein, Klein, and the fifth one is the debate. Okay, but nobody in this room agrees. Skylar Thompson is not top five. three. There's no way. Not top five. Is he five? Not top. Uh, not even in my top four. No, okay. no, no. <clears throat> Man, that's not a that's not a slide no. against him in any way. Those, those are really good quarterbacks. Those are really good quarterbacks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. There we go. Next question comes from Ghost Day Kate. Is the basketball roster set, or do you expect additional players to commit? I think they're not done yet. I mean, they're not going to be done until they're done. I, there's no reason to be done. If someone pops up in late August is needing a home and it fits what you want, then you go get them. No, they're they're not done. I mean, even Tank said he wants 11 and they've only got 10. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lead on someone else. They haven't responded. We haven't seen any <clears throat> smoke around them, so I'm not going to float a name out there. But... Um, there is someone else out in the portal as a senior grad transfer, so we'll see what happens. I'm curious with walk-ons. Like, where do you even go? I know to get those guys because they are important to a team in practice and workouts. This, yeah. Of all the all the questions you can have about why they ran off so many guys, and I think in hindsight now they screwed up. I think we can all agree with that. They should have probably lowered that bar a little bit. And and push some guys to go ahead and stay, but that culture they just wanted to decimate it, get rid of everything. Uh, exactly, whether that's right or Folks, wrong. If you had any questions, if you thought I was out with a vendetta talking about the culture of K State basketball, how this new basketball staff responded to that without ever saying a word, the only two guys they kept were the new guys. That hadn't been in there and had seen basketball at another school, so they knew what a different culture was like. And the guy that was so good, they absolutely wanted him to stay. But they were proven right about the culture that the the kid wasn't really invested in K State. So, yeah, they they were eager to do that. But anyhow, my point being, I understand why they ran off the culture, but. Maybe the walk-ons. I don't know that the walk-ons are going to carry over a bad culture. Or maybe they were so tied to Bruce they wanted to go. But I wouldn't think they had any greater opportunities. They're going to end up walking on somewhere else if they'd leave. I feel like we would know who the walk-ons would be if those guys were staying. 
Because, I mean, you would think that they would be working out with well, the team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're all gone. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I know that um, what Baylor did last year, there was a there was a kid who graduated from Baylor who stayed for a master's degree, ended up being a walk-on for a single year at the Baylor on Baylor's roster because uh, it had to do with his buddy was a walk-on. And he's like, went to Scott Drew, Jerome Tang, like, hey, there's a kid that, you know, needs to that that's pretty good at basketball. I feel like he could help us as a walk on. And he actually was from Kansas City. And so uh, I heard his story on the radio one day. I was actually coming down here um, back to Manhattan. But I mean, the point being, I don't think they're afraid of being like, all right, we're going to hold tryouts. And if you're a student at K-State and you want to be a walk on, come try out oh, as a walk on. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest here. They, the level of walk on Kansas State's been getting is a dude on your campus that's really good. I mean, there's probably dudes on K State's campus that were better than the walk-ons that they had. Yeah, I think an important component to recruiting this year will be the fraternities trying to keep a hold of their better players and not let them transfer to the K State <laughs> walk-on program. I, yeah, they, they they need more bodies. There's no doubt about it. Whether the walk-ons are scholarship, but I think they're going to get at least one, if not two, more scholarship players. Gills is hooping at the wreck so much. Mm-hmm. He's probably in the top. He's Dang, probably he's probably a, he's probably a ranked player from the mm, I don't know from the the rec league. <laughs> he got dest- he got destroyed last time. Did we you played. say ranked or rank? He's he's, he's could, ranked. He's probably ranked. I'm a three star consensus recreational <laughs> complex player. So that's like a one star actual recruit, right? Three-star mm. rec player. I think you take off one star, so I'm a two-star. Uh, that's pretty generous. Cut me some slack here. He's Come got on. some height. He needs muscle, but he's a warm body mm-hmm. with legs. He needs to work on his free throws, too. I, I do. We've spent a lot of time on walk-ons, but they've got guys like Kurt Kelly and the other GA they brought in, Branch, uh, from Memphis, right? They've got guys that are capable, so they don't here. need walk-ons, so to speak. But Logan Landers, that's the guy I think the staff really kind of, in hindsight, says, yeah. I wish we would have kept that guy because he works hard. And he took a step down to going to Grand Canyon. There's no doubt about that. But I, I think just his work his work ethic, I know that was kind of their one guy that was really on the fence of, is he going to stay? Do we want him back? And, and Fitz, he nailed it. I think in hindsight, they wish they would have kept at least one other guy, and he would be yeah. the guy. We'll see. I, I don't think they're done. But, again, as – We've all witnessed, and they found out it's a lot more competitive out there than maybe was fully appreciated. Next question comes from Euler Cat Two. With the new NIL group that players that the players put together, oh man, you can I do just it. Pushed you, that question. You can do it. I've got <laughs> channel not, your inner okay. gills. You're okay. <laughs> Will the new NIL group the players put together bring them more opportunities they may not have gotten otherwise? Thank you. From that is from Oiler Cat too. I don't too. know. Not I, really. I no. don't. I haven't looked into it as much as I should, as far as research. I keep coming back to how much is this going to cost? I mean, if it's a hundred dollars a head with a with a thousand memberships, each player is roughly going to get a thousand bucks out of it. It's more now. than that. It's got to be. More it's got to be more than that. But will they be able to sell? A thousand memberships at five hundred a head. It's not about what you get with the membership. It's just the fact of hey, I'm helping out my team and supporting my team. And I think another thing to think about with this two fits, they have to pay for events somehow. Right. Nobody is just going to flip the bill on their own dime. So if it's a hundred dollars a head, all that money is not going straight to the players. They have to pay for these barbecues where all the food is provided in the event space. Like, uh, I think, I think if. If it's local and they know who the group is, I think that, you know, if you do it in a restaurant, that's just an advertising expense. Basically. Yeah, you might be able to get the group might be able to get. I still don't think there's any way you can spend, say 100% of the profits goes directly no, to I the players. That. 100% of the profits? Or 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's what profit is. Yeah. Or not profit, 100% <laughs> of, the, of yeah. the fees. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated by it. I love it. I mean, this is great. Directly to the players without being, you know, here's a thousand dollars in cash handed over at a bar, like some places have done for years. I mean, it seems like a Patreon is what it yeah was what it feels like. It's a hey, support you know the one dollar level and you'll have your name on the list. Support us at the hundred dollar level and you'll get a T-shirt or something. You know, like you know, it's just it seems like you know. I mean, that's that's really I think 
you know, when you boil it down, I think that's what it comes down to is just supporting your, your players as if they were, a you know, a Twitch streamer or, you know, somebody on YouTube. I mean, I think that's, that's really what it, what it comes down to and good, good for the players for doing it. But I'm curious as far as what the benefits are and what, what fans are going to get out of, of paying them essentially what, the, what the product is going to be. I agree. Okay. Next question comes from big, big, big time Timmy Jim. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of bigs. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the athletics surpassing one hundred million dollars in funds raised for buildings? I'm sorry. K State Athletics, not the athletics. The athletics department. Sorry. Yes. What was the question again? Not the athletics. What do you make of athletics surpassing hundred million dollars? I saw in the funds capital A and my brain went to the building projects. I'm just amazed at the amount of money being donated. I can't even wrap my head around the generosity of so many people, but the fact that they have this kind of money to donate. Uh, And that the donor base really isn't tapped out, so to speak. No, There's still donors out there that can, you know, that may not have provided much or that can provide a lot more than what, you know, more than the hundred million here. I mean, just uh, when you go back to the coaching search and just hearing about the money, that the donors were ponying up to say, hey, go get this guy. You know, here's this frat house that he can live in. You know, just the the amount of money that was being thrown around there, it's crazy. But, you know, good for athletics for for doing that and getting the $100 million. But I don't know what else more there is to say other than ask the next question that ties into this. (laughs) Okay. Hi, hi, Captain. From Autumn underscore Cat, in your eyes, what is the next major facility or stadium upgrade that is needed after the practice facility is complete? Bramlage. Yeah, I, I don't see any way they can keep kicking Bramlage down the line. And with a little, <clears throat> you know, we've added some more loge boxes. We've got, we've got, you know, you can only. They're shrinking it. Yeah, which isn't a worse thing to yeah. do. They're They're increasing revenue by shrinking capacity which is good i mean i'm all for that i'm i'm for eventually having maybe court level suites down at the front on the alumni side i'm all for this but it's going to require major renovation that i don't know how you uh, really can afford i mean we just talked about it people were very generous but we're talking at least another 50 million well and at that point if if you're getting into Hundred million to re- renovate Bramlage. I don't believe these stickers of two hundred million dollars for a new coliseum, a new field house. I don't buy that. But you don't buy that it would cost only yeah. two hundred million, or that the, it would be full two hundred million. You think you could build it for less than yeah, two hundred million? Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, particularly if you go right there in the lot. I don't know, but then you got Bramlage. They got to address Bramlage. Period. End of story. If they're going to continue with these sports and not move into other sports, like, you know, I wondered about on one of my daily deliveries, do you keep baseball? I mean, look at baseball. I, I'm all for I love baseball. It's a beautiful facility. It's a great facility. But of the eight teams in the College World Series, Notre Dame was the only northern team. Uh, I mean, and it's usually around that number. And you have Every to recognize while, the recruiting advantage that Notre Dame has. They just they just do. Kids grow up want to play at Notre Dame. They'll go to Notre Dame to play baseball. So if you're going to keep baseball and and not add wrestling then where you need a new facility or whatever, it's got to be Bramlage. It just flat out has to be un, unless you've got like a some kind of entertainment district thing going that we don't know about across the street. I don't know. I I don't know what else it could be. You know, one thing I've thought of is, you know, once they get the the east side taken care of, I think they need to spruce up the parking lot on the west side. And I've talked about it on a previous podcast about building, you know, the plaza outside West Stadium Center. But watching the videos, especially, you know, when you go to these camps and they play the big recruiting video, you know, they put the video out of, you know, how they started the walk last year where the, the buses drop off the players and the coaches, you know, in the middle of the parking lot and you walk up, you know. You're walking around all these cars. You see the yellow barricades. <laughs> you know, it looks very eh, – you're walking on blacktop basically mm-hmm. into the stadium. Build a lane. You know, you could build like a brick 
brick type road or something, you know, down, put some trees up, make a concrete parking lot that is an asphalt, you know, build some trees, you know, you can spruce up the parking lot, so to How speak. How do you build to trees? Maybe, you, build, you build it. You just build the tree. That got by me. Good catch. <laughs> Plant some trees, build a, you know, you can build a road, you, you know, gate three is where they, they come in. You know, I don't think it's completely unreasonable and it wouldn't cost a lot of money, but you know, if we're going to take out half the parking lot with this plaza idea for me, why not make a road coming in? Um, I would agree. I'm going to take a very realistic approach to this answer and say the next major facility upgrade or stadium upgrade will be a legalized sports betting zone inside of Bill Snyder family stadium. Not. If the NCAA is still alive and well, maybe not even well, on alive and on life support, you will never see any sort I'm of sports saying. gambling related business just in college saying. sports. The NCAA is Welcome to the Shamrock Zone, sponsored by DraftKings. Well, okay, you could do DraftKings because they still have separate businesses that aren't a sports book, but he would make a lot of money if he uh, did he, that. He's right. If, yeah. if the NCAA lets up, that will happen. But it also brings this to mind. One of the things I don't like about where K-State Stadium is is that it's on the fringe where other stadiums might be closer to the bar district. I mean, if you had a sports bar on the west side close to the stadium that was able to incorporate sports betting, you'd be a busy place on game days. You really would be. It'd be interesting. I think I just gave or, a business idea. Or build a little district like they did outside of Wrigley. They kind of built right next to Wrigley kind or, of little thing. If we're gonna do that, let's build the Royal Stadium right there. Let's just call That'll it too. Instead yeah. of Wrigleyville, we'll call it Billville. That sounds that, awful. That sounds horrible. <laughs> let's go with Fort Snyder. That might catch on better than oh. Billville. <laughs> Last question of the podcast comes from Wild Mountain Cat, who is a longtime listener and a first-time question nice. asker. So welcome to the podcast. Does he know he's got Mountain in the middle? I mean, wow. He says MTN. I don't know. Does he want to be called Mountain? Does he want to be called MTN? We'll Sorry. find out. Okay, yeah, we'll find out. Find out. Uh, they ask, what are your thoughts on the rumored Big 12 commissioner, commissioner Brett Yormark? I'm intrigued. You know, I was the one on on this podcast and other places that go Powercat saying they need to think outside the box. Well, they did. (laughs) (laughs) They did, and I love it. Now, I read an interesting story from one of the New York media talking about how he's uh, known to be uh, very difficult to work with and also a great uh, self-promoter. Sounds like Jay-Z. And I'm like, okay, those are usually qualities that the difficult to work with part I'm usually not a fan of, but I'm going to be blunt here in saying the big 12 commissioner, the next guy needs to be a jackass. <laughs> he needs to sit down with ESPN and say, shut the hell up. What are we going to do? Are we going to do business or not? Cause I'm not going to dance with you. We're going to go find some other entities that want to compete with you. The New York mentality. Right. Exactly. Now at the end of the day, do you see this guy who's, just New York through and through. I mean, he's the guy that moved the Nets from Jersey to Brooklyn. He ran the Barclays Center. Now he's running Jay-Z's whatever, Rock Nation. So, do you see him (laughs) moving to Dallas, Texas? I have a problem with that. I don't see that. Or do you let him just stay in New York? Do you even need him in Dallas, I guess? You you probably have... If you're doing media rights stuff... You make a good point. Yeah. You really you really should probably be in New York City if you're not if you're if you're trying to negotiate meteorites. Did you just you're have a satellite office in of the Big Twelve in New York? I don't know that that's if that's a, a way to keep him. So I'm intrigued by it. I don't know anything about him. But if he's going to be a promoter of the conference and a guy that's going to stand up for the conference and not let outside entities like ESPN take craps on you. I'm all for it. Again, I said this about Bob Bullsby. He's been a great commissioner, but he's not a wartime commissioner. This guy sounds like a wartime commissioner. Mm -hmm. I mean, you wanted Patton. 
driving the tanks out in front of everyone, but you didn't see anyone lining up to elect him president. Sometimes you need that jackass to go ahead and say, we're going this way. Who's following? And hopefully that's him. I, we'll see how this develops. But I find the timing interesting because we were talking about maybe they want to get it announced. Right, right Big 12 Media time. Days in less than a month, a lot less than a month, a matter of weeks, mid-July. Maybe that's what they're driving for here. I saw, I saw a report that said that that was the goal was to get him introduced in two weeks, actually. Which is the Big 12 Media Days. How did that happen? How's it Do you think he'll get out in front of everybody and go, I'm walking here. I'm walking. Ridiculous. I, I, I want to hear his accent so bad. I love it. I I never met the guy. Maybe I'll shake hands with him and go, oh, he's a prick. <laughs> but maybe I'll really like him. But if he is a prick, does that mean I don't want him? I think that's exactly what the conference needs right now. I'm not sure I'd want to work for him if that's the way he is. We'll see. It's it's intriguing, isn't it, guys? That it? Nobody That's else? It. Nobody? I agree. Should have ended it right there. Well, why don't you have... I like Cole's cheer. Why don't I you, agree. Why don't you have, like, uh, Rick Ross's management reach out to the Big 12 saying, huh, I just, just cross-breeded our... H pocket. to the Izzo. That's, that's exactly my thoughts. Thank you for listening to the Power Cat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.